When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in the space. Let's get started. Hey, friends. It's Melissa here. It's Black History Month, so I thought this month might be the perfect time to incorporate some history that people may or may not be aware. I thought I would focus on organizations that have played a significant role in African-American culture. And I know there are probably many organizations, but I thought I would kick it off with the first African-American fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha, Fraternity Incorporated. They were the first African-American Greek organization to organize on a college campus. They were the first of many that would follow. And many of you may hear people refer to the Divine Nine. These are nine Black Greek letter organizations that make up the National Panhellenic Council, which consists of five fraternity organizations and four sorority organizations. The history of Black Greek letter organizations starts back in the early 1900s when African American students were excluded from Greek organizations at primarily white institutions. So just to give you a little bit of history, and this will be really little because I just want to give you the order of those Divine Nine organizations. In order, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated was founded on December 4th, 1906 on the campus of Cornell University. Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated was founded on January 15th, 1908 on the campus of Howard University. Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated was founded on January 5, 1911 on the campus of Indiana University. Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated was founded on November 17, 1911 on the campus of Howard University. Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated was founded on January 13th 1913, on the campus of Howard University. Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated was founded on January 9, 1914, on the campus of Howard University. Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated was founded on January 16, 1920, on the campus of Howard University. Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated 
was founded on November 12, 1922, on the campus of Butler University, and Iota Phi Theta Fraternity Incorporated was founded on September 19, 1963, on the campus of Morgan State University. Today, I'm going to be joined by one of the most wonderful people I've had the pleasure to know. I will make his introduction brief, but he is most humble and always working. Lonnie Holmes is a native of San Francisco, California, who graduated from Woodrow Wilson High School. He received a BA from the University of Washington and later went on to get his master's degree in public administration. Lonnie has spent over 25 years working in the law enforcement industry. He's currently a wage hour investigator for the U.S. Department of Labor. And prior to that, he was the San Francisco Juvenile Probation Department's Director of Community Services, overseeing alternatives to detention programs before retiring. This man is always doing something to leave his community better than the way he inherited it. And anytime I need him, he is always right there. I am so excited to be focusing on the Divine Nine uh, for Black History Month. So I figured I would start with Alpha Phi Alpha, the original, I won't say the original, but certainly the first uh, Black fraternity. And I have Lonnie Holmes here with me, um, who has been not only a friend of mine, I think for, gosh, maybe 30 some years. Yeah, it's about it's, right. It's been a while, but you are deep. So I wanted to reach out to you and maybe have you tell us a little bit about the fraternity, how they got started, why they got started, and really kind of shed some light on the Divine Nine this uh, this month. So um, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks. No, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Melissa. Yeah, I have a, you know, a pretty interesting story myself as it relates to the fraternity. But, um, but let me just start with the Seven Jewels, who are the founders of the fraternity that started at uh, uh, Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Um, one of the reasons that these brothers got together, our founders <clears throat> specifically, our Jewel brothers, is because if you look at historically what has happened on campuses of white institutions, there hasn't been a lot of support for African-Americans, right, in terms of success. Some of that has changed, obviously, today, but we still have some of the same challenges. Um, but back then, uh, it really it started out as a social club, brothers getting together uh, for a common cause, and that is to achieve educationally. Uh, and so as a result, then the notion of establishing a fraternity in this particular case alpha phi alpha fraternity incorporated was erected and it evolved from there and so what we have is alpha phi alpha is the largest greek lettered african-american fraternity in the world um and we're in probably most countries definitely around the world um, and so we're constantly expanding. Um, but with that being said, I want to just kind of speed up to myself. Yeah. As, as as a gentleman who came out of a 
primarily black high school going to a uh, college campus, um, you know, to play sports and what have you, there wasn't a whole lot of support, educationally speaking. Now, when I first arrived on the campus of San Francisco State, which was my first college campus um, as an athlete, um, I quickly realized that, you know, there were a handful of us around, but when you looked in the classroom, you, you may have maybe two or three individuals out of about 30 or 40, in some cases, 50 individuals in the classroom. Uh, so when I was approached uh, as a first semester freshman, which is kind of an anomaly, right? Yeah. Um, I, I said to myself, I realized then, you know, that, look, you know, I really need to get some support. I need some brothers who who can back me up, you know what I mean, and, and support me. And so and so that's kind of how my journey started. Now, I ended up uh, there was no college chapter at San Francisco State where I started my collegiate career uh, at the time. And so there were some brothers who came from Stanford University who subsequently came to recruit. Uh, myself and about five other brothers. Now, two of those brothers dropped. Okay, and it was myself and my my three line brothers that there who at the time I was a first semester freshman. They were all seniors, and so and which I was extremely proud of. And so, but what I soon realized is that you know all my uh, my sands as they refer to right all my line brothers. They had all basically graduated. So I was essentially on campus by myself. Oh, And wow. so what I had to do was, and my goal was really, look, I needed to establish a chapter for brothers like me that are on campus here at San Francisco State. And so I did that. And so along the way, uh, I ran into a bunch of um, hurdles, if you will, right? And... Part of the hurdles, you know, some of the hurdles involved the administration of the uh, provost office, in this case, the, the administration. And so the administration didn't really want to have any Greek lettered black organizations recognized and solidified on campus. Uh, and so where I was going through many, many, many hoops. Now, mind you, this is, and I, I would say probably, you know, 10 years before that, right? You know, the 70s, you know, you had one of the the the, the start of the first African-American uh, ethnic studies program in the country that started at San Francisco State. Uh, and oh, so wow. you would think, you know, essentially 10 years later, you know, it wouldn't be an issue, but it was an issue. Uh, and it just goes to show you that while, you know, that battle was fought and won, there were still battles to be fought. And I fought that battle, and I was able to establish a chapter, Zyro chapter at San Francisco State, uh, once I was able to bring some other brothers into the fold uh, of the fraternity, in which I had seven or six or uh, seven other brothers that we had pledged through Stanford University who, who were actually San Francisco State students like myself. Uh, and so once we had the... Uh, optimum number, which was seven at the time, then we were able to establish our charter after we uh, basically, you know, jumped over all the hurdles that we had to go through. Uh, and wow. so, and the rest is, the rest is history. And so, you know, and quite frankly, um, 
one of the hiccups doing this 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 extensive pledge process that I went through is that and everything was done by snail mail. There weren't any uh, cell phones and all this other kind of stuff. I didn't have emails and all this other kind of stuff. And so essentially, what happened was, uh, I would say about almost halfway into the process, we got a call, we got a letter back from the national office saying that I'm not allowed to pledge. And because I was a first semester freshman, which was basically right, but you know, so I you know, just one of those things that happened, right? And, and so, um, but be that as it may, everybody, my line brothers was like, "Hey, if I can't continue on the process, we're all going to jump out." And so then there was an exemption granted uh, for me uh, from the national office. And uh, so we're able to continue on that process until, you know, obviously we, we cross those burning sands, as they say. Uh, and so with wow. that, I'm, I'm kind of in the in the 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 history books of Alpha Phi Alpha as as a jewel member uh, of uh, or founding member, if you will, uh, yes. just in layman's terms for Zyro chapter of San Francisco State. Wow. Uh, so that was many, many years ago. And I will tell you now I'm going on my 44th year. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I was barely, you know, out of high school uh, <laughs> going through this process. And you can imagine. And so when I say I tell you this story because this is one of the things that helped shape my life. Right. Yeah. I've actually been alpha longer than I've been anything in my life. Right. Uh, long I've been married, long I've been all this stuff. Right. Yeah, and so know. but through that, I've had the opportunity to meet you know, so many prominent alpha men, you know, Andrew Young, um, you know, I've, I've met, uh, you know, Norm Bryce, I've met, I mean, all these brothers, man, that are, you know, uh, prominent alpha men, I've had an opportunity to break bread and in many cases with them and, and sit down and just kind of learn and, 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 and what have you. And so, uh, and so also, then when I ended up transferring to um, University of Washington, where I, you know, essentially graduated from, you know, and, and it's funny because as I've participated as a big brother and pledged individuals who have, you know, come and gone through the fold uh, of Alpha Phi Alpha, uh, they have matriculated to various states. And then I, at least once a month, if not more, I get calls from someone who is uh, in Texas or someone who's in New York or wherever that knows me because they knew some, you know what I mean? And so it's that kind of thing. So I've been around that long. And, 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 and because I came in at such a young age, I've had an opportunity really to kind of not only to mesh with the older generation, but also the younger generation. Wow. Right? And so I'm kind of unique in that, in that, you know, in that arena. Well, I knew you were unique. But I mean, <laughs> and I knew you were like Mr. Alpha Phi Alpha, but this is all new to me. I can't, I, I'm amazed. I, I mean, I didn't know you were a founding member at uh, San Francisco yeah. State and all of that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely a charter member. And, and, you know, and I'll tell you something. It was funny because when I would say as soon as we cross, we end up establishing our own chapter, we then... Uh, my line brother's brother, who was actually uh, came from New York, David Johnson, was over at UC Berkeley. Now, UC Berkeley had a chapter that had been, it was just celebrated their 100 year. However, that chapter had been inactive uh, for a number of years. There was no brothers over on UC. I mean, it's just the way it is when you see college campuses, right? Right. Uh, you don't see that many brothers in there, right? And, and sisters either, for those, you see more sisters than brothers. But anyway, 
the point simply was this, is that once he got there, my line brother, Greg Hunt, and God rest his soul, he had passed away about 10 years ago now, maybe a little bit more. Um, he helped establish that chapter. Uh, and it had been for him. Then you had a whole you know, collection of an, a bunch of brothers who came from UC Berkeley. And so during that time, you had, uh, you know, um, chapters that obviously you had uh, Black Family Day that was was just an historic event at UC Davis's campus, uh, the campus of UC Davis. You had San Jose State University, uh, uh, Epsilon Mu, which is we call the empire down there. But those two chapters between Sacramento and, and, and San Jose had been kind of the mainstays, right? And then you start filling in the rest of the Bay Area, okay? Because you had uh, Nukai, uh, Zypai, we're talking about UOP, University of Pacific. You had Cal State uh, Hayward, now it's Cal State East Bay. Uh, and then you see Berkeley. Or then you, or then you, we had us, obviously, San Francisco State, and then you see Berkeley. And then I can't mention, before in 78, in, uh, you had uh, New Sigma which was started on, on uh, Stanford University's campus. And so within probably about a three to four year span, you had Alpha Phi Alpha chapters on all the major campuses in the Bay Area. Okay, and that's been a challenge since that time, obviously because of how things are happening now, right? Costs and so forth. And just, just the inability of these campuses to reach out to African American young males out of high school. Okay. And then the Bay Area is changing, obviously, with the tech industry and the cost of living and all these other kinds of things. And so, so it's, 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 you know, that was kind of a, a, a rare time, if you will, a historic time in, in, in some respects as well. But anyway, that's kind of how that stuff happened. So then, so tell us a little bit about, um, Alpha Phi Alpha and what they focus on, because I know a lot of um, I mean, all the Divine Nine has a service component. Yeah, yeah. So we have our national programs and the national programs uh, include, um, let's say, Project Alpha. Project Alpha is, is a program. And in fact, I used to do Project Alpha as a chapter president, the grad chapter president uh, for uh, Gamma Chi Lambda, which is a grad chapter in San Francisco. Uh, but that focused on primarily, you know, providing kids with information around STDs, uh, safe sex, you know, personal hygiene, those kinds of things. So we had, uh, I remember the last time I did it, we had Dr. A.G., who was a prominent urologist here in San Francisco. Uh, he came out, provided examples, and probably just everything. And it was just, uh, matter of fact, it was on KGO and some of these other things. We had a lot of live coverage of those kinds of things. But uh, that was, that's, these are like national programs that we do, right? In addition mm-hmm. to, right? Just some of the other stuff. Um, Brothers Keepers program, look after old, older members and stuff like that, and their family and wives and, and so forth that are widowed and what have you. Uh, um, we have a voteless people as a hopeless people uh, getting out uh, and help, assisting people with um, voter registration and, mm-hmm. and you know really just just trying to reiterate how important their vote is to get them to vote on certain initiatives that are going to be more uh, beneficial for the African-American population and people in, 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 in of color in general. Um, and then you have uh, go to high school, go to college. Now, every year, incidentally, um, we have a nonprofit, which is the Alpha Phi Alpha Scholarship Fund. And so we give out 
scholarships to seven or eight. Just kind of depends on the interest. We have a balance of about uh, around about two hundred thousand, and we don't touch the principal. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the interest, we generally use the interest to give out scholarships on interest every year. We've been doing that for about thirty years. Wow. Uh, and for deserving high school students. And a lot of it's not necessarily based on GPA, although we GPA is a consideration, but we also look at individuals' economic background. Mm-hmm. If an individual is trying to go to school and they, they, they live in a low-income area, come from a low-income family, uh, a lot of times what we do is we say, okay, fine, they can use this assistance. And, and so we generally give them, uh, once we get their uh, their class schedule, uh, send them a check right on for about a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand in some cases. Okay. Fantastic. So, yeah. So that's there. I mean, there's just so many different things that we do. Um, you know, annual turkey giveaways, um, you know, just be there to assist when we can, how we can, given the fact that we can. Yeah. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. What do you think that um, the the focus that you all have and have been doing since 1906, if I recall, um, what do you think it has meant to our culture, the African-American culture? Oh, no, I, I, I think, you know, so so one of the things in, in terms of you know, we talk about cultural relevance and things of that particular nature, and, and, and you can see in, through social media and some of these other things. But I mean, obviously, uh, all the Divine Nine are, are known for their uh, historic step moves and all these other kinds of things. And there's facts, sim- well, not facts, sim- but there's, there's uh, imaging of those variations of of, of steps that are uh, not only you know, across the country but across the world in some cases, right? Yeah. Uh, especially now with the with the cultural uh, icons th- that are utilized through social media and the various platforms and stuff. And so, but with that being said, and that's just you know, primarily for the young folks. But really, if you look at the divine nine in totality, you're looking at, at individuals who have graduated uh, from college. Uh, and in many cases have multiple degrees, uh, graduate degrees, doctorate degrees, and they went on to become very, very uh, successful individuals. For example, some of the first black doctors and business people were uh, in San Francisco. The Bay Area were African were African American doctors. Uh, you know, Dr. Collins, uh, one of our founders, uh, is is one of the first black doctors and dentists uh, that uh, serves the, the the Bay Area. Uh, and so you have a lot of prominent uh, alpha men. You have a lot of prominent divine nine members who have done some monumental things uh, across the country. And if you really begin to look at a lot of these individuals who may be in prominent positions, I can almost guarantee you that they are affiliated with one of the divine nine organizations. Okay. Uh, and, and 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 it's not by luck, but what it is is just that you have folks who seek higher education and seek the betterment of men and women through various uh, platforms and mediums by looking at educational endeavors that are going to allow them to advance the various causes and advance the you know the, the necessary steps to help uplift the downtrodden and disenfranchised. Wow, that's fantastic. 
Well, I, you know, what else? Do you want to talk about anything else? Because <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a whole lot. <laughs> um, so, 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 what I will say is that you know this prison, the, the, this prison pipeline, uh, you know, is is something that we, you know, I think everyone is really concerned about when you have more. African American males in prison that you do on college campuses, it's it's very disturbing. It's very disturbing. Now listen, college is not for everyone, right? But at the same time, you have to look at doing something. Now, with the advent obviously of the internet, folks have been very successful not going to college, and that's perfectly fine, right? But at the same time, not everyone is going to be in a situation they can take advantage of the various platforms and the innovations of the internet. Uh, some folks are going to have to get education uh, by way of looking at some kind of a you know serious vocation so that they can advance themselves. And obviously, when you start looking at uh, how much money you can make with a high school diploma versus that of a uh, you know a bachelor's degree. Um, there's a significant difference. And then it goes up from there. If you have a master's degree or a doctor degree, all those make a significant difference when you start talking about uh, compensation for wages. The other thing is that when you start looking at, you know, raising a family, it's extremely difficult. Right? It's extremely costly. And, you know, particularly if you're ha having, you know, um, kids before marriage and these other kinds of things, the young folks are finding out the hard way. And then what you have is you have this perpetual cycle of poverty that, you know, young folks are coming up in. And then all of a sudden they're subject to the street hustle and everything else. Right. And uh, it worked for some, but it doesn't work for most. And what happens with the majority, they end up in prison. So, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, trying to, you know, push this narrative, that you have to get your education in order so that you can open up more avenues of opportunity for you, your family, and your children. That's awesome. That's why, you know, I mean, for me, my exposure to the Divine Nine and the Greeks were much later in life. Um, I didn't have anybody in my family that um, followed this path. Um, my mother being an immigrant from Panama. And, mm -hmm. you know, my dad ended up going to school in North Dakota from, you know, mm -hmm. Missouri. So, you know, for him, he had a different path, but I, you know, I tend to wonder if he was, if he was able to flow into um, a network like this or even have any mm -hmm. support whatsoever, yeah. um, you know, what, what life would have been like. And he was an amazing man. But I am, uh, you know, the more I am involved with the Divine Nine, I just think there's so many people that don't quite understand what it mm -hmm. truly has meant to the culture to have the type of focus, the network, the support, um, mm -hmm. because Absolutely. it's truly it's truly a bond. Um, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. you're creating, uh, you know, across yeah. generations. Absolutely. It's a lifetime bond. And I will tell you, for me, uh, being one of nine uh, children, no one, I was the first one in my family to ever go to college and let, you know, graduate from college, right? Uh, and so, you know, I didn't have any, no one was like college. I mean, you know, in those days, things were a little bit 
different, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's still different, but I mean, every every generation has their ups and downs and and and, and what they kind of go through, right? And so, you know, we look at how young people are affected now from from a mental health perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And mental health is 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 becoming a real public ep- epidemic. And you know, but you know, if you if you realize and look and and do kind of an analysis, a lot of young folks they can't necessarily handle a lot of pressure uh, in this world right now. And one of the one of the things that I heard that is attributed to is the information overload of the internet, right? Yeah. And so how to manage the internet, right? And so and I look at that and I say myself, but it's a, it's it's a real phenomenon. But at the same time, I'm looking like, well, wait a second. You know, that versus, you know, how are you going to, where are you going to get your next meal from? You know, if you grew up in a low income household, uh, coming up on government cheese and everything else, it's like, well, man, when I'll be able to get some real meat or something, you know what I mean? Instead of eating this spam, you know, so, look, I mean, so the struggle's a little bit different, right? Yeah. I can even yeah. tell my kids some of these stuff, you know, like, yeah, it goes in one ear out the other year, right? Because they'll never know what that time was because they didn't go through that time. And so each generation has their own struggles and own time because, you know, you have folks who are constantly into constantly looking at the educational trends and the analysis of how things are being navigated in and around the world, just just from an information standpoint to help people cope. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. It's it's such a necessary component. And, you know, I look back to 1906 and just go, you know, what was going on at that time. And for these brothers to get together and say, you know what, we're going to do this. I mean, the courage it Mm -hmm. probably took to do that at that time, um, you know, is pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because one wrong move could cost you your life. Absolutely. And, And wouldn't nobody do anything about it. Okay, if you're the wrong color and caught on the wrong side of the track, it was a wrap. Uh, and so, it, it, and you know, it, it, the interesting thing, if we look at, you know, police you know, violence against African Americans and, and, and how, you know, and, and this has been studied for decades, right? And it's still the same. It's still the same. And so, but again, from an educational perspective, sometimes we have to turn the other cheek, sometimes, and then look at trying to, you know, fight on the backside, right? Once you have enough evidentiary information to substantiate, uh, you know, what has happened to you, right? And then go through the courts. And so it's, it's, it's easier said than done, right? When you're right in the midst of this stuff. But we've asked, we have so many examples of what has uh, transpired. But at the same time, I think that, um, you know, uh, being uh, making yourself target, whatever that means, uh, in the eyes of some of these other folks who uh, are probably in the wrong profession to begin with, but also they're not, they're of a different persuasion. Uh, they don't know how to interact with us. Uh, and that's not only in the workforce from a diversity standpoint, but that's also on the streets and anywhere that you essentially go, uh, unless they've been exposed. And what I find, uh, that now, uh, even more so down south, uh, there's there's more there's it's beginning to be a little bit more tolerant, right, to a certain extent, right, and there's more exposure with uh, obviously with the advent of the uh, the cameras and things like that on cell phones and and all the other you know, uh, uh, you know mediums that are used out there to record uh, information. Uh, and people uh, in action doing various kinds of things. And you never know who sticks a camera in there. And that's why you have to be extremely careful. And that's why, you know, even being a criminal these days, right? 
you know, yeah, you think you've got to wait it right now, but there's so many cameras everywhere. They're going to be able to track you down relatively quickly in some cases, very seldom. It may take some time, but with the advent of DNA and all these other kinds of things. And so it, crime doesn't pay. You know, you may, it may be in a short run, but eventually you're going to get got. Uh, but that's from everybody, whether it's from the enforcement perspective, you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing from the enforcement perspective, or if you are, you know, engaging in some kind of, uh, you know, criminal activity or whether it's white collar, blue collar, or whatever the case may be. There's, you know, I, I mean, and then we, we talk about these things, right? But then you look at the former president, former vice president, the current president, you know, looking at having confidential documents in their homes and all these other kinds of things and not knowing this and all this other kind of stuff. Now the spotlight is coming out on this all of a sudden. So it's like, you know, no, no matter where you turn, no matter where you look, uh, someone's been exposed for something. So get that education. Just walk the straight and narrow, man. That way you don't have to worry about looking over your shoulder. Yeah. Well, you are doing some fabulous work as you always have. So I so much appreciate my best. I'm not perfect. (laughs) (laughs) None of us are perfect, but you know, it's like you are always doing something. Um, And I know how long you have been in San Francisco and you are, you know, I mean, what you have put into young men, young women behind you um, is just amazing. So I know, I can I know how much you fill me up, so I can't imagine, you know, how many people you have you and your family have touched over the years. So thank you for all you do. Yeah, and that's because people have, well, no, thank you, Melissa. And that's because people have done that for us. I mean, I listen, there were times where, you know, coming from a big family man and 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 you know, not having much and and uh, folks, uh, you know, delivered, you know, folks bought us turkeys, folks bought us so everything that happened to me growing up, you know, you know, by way of, uh, you know, handout and stuff like that. I, I've done the same thing and giving back, you know, because that was the message that was given to me. So I just try to do the same thing, you know, yeah. pay it so, forward, yeah. pay it forward. That's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming to the Jolly podcast, you know, the Jolly you knew him personally. So, you know, this is a head nod to him. I know he would love to be able to connect with the Divine Nine. Um, but it is uh, truly a pleasure to have you join me. Yeah. Melissa, let me just say this uh, to you with all sincerity. I mean, your due diligence and persistence and and really, you know, getting the word out to young folks has, has been second to none. Uh, and I applaud you. Uh, we love you. Uh, and anytime that we can assist you, then, you know, just feel free to, you know, call us and then, and, and you know, and I would say text, right? But I'm not, I'm not a big tech guy, right? You know, can you just pick up the phone and call me? Because, you know, it may be a couple of days before I answer a text, right? <laughs> but, but nowadays, with all, even my kids, they, they send text before they pick up the phone and call you. And I, I, I get it, I, you know. <laughs> right exactly well i love you back i love y'all and uh i appreciate you so much so thank you so much for joining me thanks for joining me on the jolly podcast please subscribe so you won't miss an episode see you next week this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.